made. God bless all of you. Amen. There is hope and his name is Jesus Christ. I want to join Michael God and thank you as a church for being so generous. Uh, thank you for being an Acts 1-8 church. We are striving to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so I just want to personally thank you for being a part of sending this gift. And we'll do even more as God leads our hearts. Let's give God a hand for this opportunity to be a part of that. Amen. Amen. Church, thank you again. This morning, we have the privilege to talk about Jacob the Grabber. And if I were to give this sermon a title, it's exactly that, Jacob the Grabber, because we have the chance today to go back into the Old Testament. And I want to review right quick, because we haven't been here in a while. For a for a number of Sundays, we were in a series where we were talking about the big events in the Old Testament. We were embracing the big names in the Old Testament. And the review would, would remind us today that we had two sermons on David. Uh, we also had two sermons on Elijah. We walked through three messages on Moses, one sermon on Samson, and then two sermons on Elisha. But this morning, we get to now turn our attention and spend some time with Jacob. Now, to get into the message today, I want to start by talking to us about Proverbs and mottos. You see, if I were to give you the first line of a proverb or motto, I would imagine that all of us or most of us could fill in the blank. And so here's my example. Let's see how you do. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't. You see, we're, we're pretty good at this. Well, a first grade teacher decided that she wanted to see how good her first graders were as well. So she gave them the first part of a motto and she asked those first graders to fill in the rest, and their answers were pretty interesting, to say the least. And, and here's how kind of it goes. Fill in this for me. Better safe than? Well, the first graders didn't believe that was the end of the proverb, all right? They said better safe than being punched by a fifth grader, all right? So I agree with their assessment. Strike while the? Well, they said strike while the bug is close, and, and that's hard to argue with. It's always darkest before, they said it's always darkest before daylight savings time. All right. Um, don't bite the hand that looks dirty, they said. And I think they're exactly right. Um, you, can t- you can't teach an old dog new, they said math. And if you've seen kids math today, you would understand. An idle mind is... The devil's workshop is what y'all would say, but they corrected you. And I don't mind is the best way to relax. All right. A penny saved is a penny saved is not much money. They said Um, laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you. That's what y'all think, right? They said cry and you have to blow your nose a lot. And then the last one is if at first you don't succeed, Get new batteries, all right? And so there are obviously a lot of ways to end a proverb. But now I want to give you a proverb or a principle from the Word of God. And I want to see if you can complete this one. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked for a man reaps what he sows. Now that one we got right. God cannot be, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked for a man reaps what he sows. Today, folks, we're going to see that principle lived out dynamically 
and openly in two big events in the life of Jacob. Now, the very first big event I want us to get into is what I'm going to call the surrendered birthright. I want you to take your Bibles with me this morning, and let's go ahead and center ourselves on Genesis chapter 25. And if you don't mind, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn there, and let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word today. Genesis chapter 25, we're going to begin in verse number 20. Actually, I'm going to take a step back and we'll pick it up in verse 19 because this is the lead into the story of Jacob and Esau. Um, here, here it is. Now, before I read, let me say this right quick. I want us to understand that this is the flow of Old Testament history, that we have Abraham to Isaac and now Isaac marries Rebekah, right? And she's about to give birth to two twins. And these boys that come out, they are feuding from the very start. Have you ever had a sibling rivalry? Folks, this one is an epic sibling rivalry that began even at birth. And so that's the lead in today. Genesis 25 verse 20. This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac, now in verse 20, was 40 years old when he married Rebekah's daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. The word Esau means what? Harry. They named the boy Harry, right? After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. What does Jacob mean? The one who grasps the heel. In other words, Jacob the grabber. All right, that's where we get our title. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and he drank and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Today, as we walk through this message, we'll come back to a second big event. But I pray that we will, at the end, come down to some life applications that can really touch all of our lives. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, there are two significant events here that I want to get at. And the first one is the promise of God. 
You see, God made an incredible, amazing promise to Rebecca. He said, Rebecca, you're going to have sons. They're going to be two nations. They're going to fight each other. And Rebecca, the amazing thing about your boys is the older one is going to serve the younger one. But God promised this, Rebecca, don't you worry because I assure you that in time and in my way, the younger is going to be more prominent than the older one. And of course, as we saw in the text, they're, they're born, right? And Esau is red and hairy. And Jacob comes out holding on to his heel. And they grow up knowing that Esau was the older one. Jacob was the younger one. Although just by a few minutes or seconds, we're not exactly sure, right? But because he beat Jacob out into the world, by just those few moments, he was the recipient of what we call what? The birthright. He had the firstborn blessing, and that drove Jacob absolutely crazy. Well, Jacob was a grabber. We learned this from the very start, so he figured out he could what? Grab the benefit of the birthright. Nonetheless, Rebecca receives a promise. The second thing I want to talk about is the problem of greed. Esau comes in in our story today And he's starving to death. Have you ever been starving to death? You think you were, right? You may not have been, but that's what you said and that's what you thought. And that's that's how Esau comes in. And Jacob says, I'll give you this food if you'll give me that birthright. And Esau just says, well, you can have it. I don't want it anyway. It's yours. I'm going to die if I don't get something to eat. So he hands it away or Jacob takes it. So greed, right? Jacob was greedy. But I want to add, here's my my thoughts. I think Esau was greedy also. Esau was so interested in his physical appetites that he was willing to surrender something very precious, something given to him by God. Jacob was so greedy for the benefits of the birthright that he wanted to be a part of tricking his brother. And and so that's the issue. In the beginning, the problems are, are erupted right here that exist for years to come. But now I want to press on and leave this point because I really want to get to the application at the end. So the first big event was the surrendered birthright. The second big event was the stolen blessing. Now, if you know Scripture, you know this story also. You see, not only did Esau despise his birthright, but Jacob grabbed it from him, in essence, in a second way. Now, turn one page over to Genesis chapter 27. And we're now going to read Genesis 27, 1 through 19, because if the stew and birthright story is not enough, now we need to see what happens next. Genesis 27, 1 through 19. When Isaac was old... And his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see. He called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. Here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord 
before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Here's where the conspiracy begins. Verse number nine, go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went out and got them and brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. And then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Isaac was 60, we just read, when Jacob was born. It was tradition to receive the blessing when you were about about 40. So we need to remember that Isaac here is about 100 years old when all this is taking place, right? So, so I want you to have that background because now I want to talk about the four characters that we have in this story. And there's a scenario that we can kind of get behind with each of them. And the first one, let's talk about the dad. His name is Isaac. I'm going to define Isaac in this story as the declining reader. Now, when we read chapter 27, what seems to be obvious We get the idea that Isaac is on his deathbed. That's the way it seems. That's what he's saying. That's what all the signs are pointing to. That's the verbiage of the text. He's feeble. He can barely see. He thinks he's eating his last meal, right? But if you were to fast forward, and you can do this later, and go read chapter 35, guess what? You're going to discover that Isaac lives to be 180 years old. In other words, do the math, he's got 80 years more to go after this story. So what we really have, and I want you to go with me here, what we really have is a man who's basically giving up on being the leader of his family. And it's amazing, if you study biblical history, Abraham and Jacob, in his own way, they're strong characters. And we talk about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? But actually, if you read the story, Isaac plays a minor role in the whole scene. But sad as it may seem, it looks like when Isaac reached middle age, he decided that he was done. He had done all that he could do. He was ready to give up. He had lived, he was going to live 80 more years, but he was deceived. He was a declining leader. And that's Isaac in this story. Now let's talk about the mama. What's her name? Rebecca. I'm going to define Rebecca as the doubting manipulator. Now, what is Rebecca? She's a fixer. 
Do we have any fixers in this room? If something's wrong, you know who they are in your family. They're going to try to fix it. And she was going to make it happen, right? The way she wanted it to happen. It's not Jacob's idea. It's mama's idea. And she hears what Isaac says to Esau, and she's the one that plants the seeds of deception in Jacob's mind. Now, I want you to think about this because it's striking. It took a long time to prepare that goat meat, right? She had to make it taste like deer meat because that's what he was going out to hunt. It took a long time to make that goat hair adhere to Jacob's arms and, and, and his neck. And she even took some, t- some of Esau's old clothes that smelled like Esau and she put them on Jacob. And then she does what? She pushes that boy into the room. Now, have you ever known a mama who pushes her kids? Yes. This, folks, is the patron saint of all mothers who has ever tried to push their children. She literally, I can see it in my mind as I envision the story, she pushes him into Isaac's presence. Who is it? I am Esau, don't you know? Well, you don't really sound like Esau. I'm Esau, father. Come over here, boy. And Jacob comes over there and Isaac sniffs him. You don't sound like Esau, and you know what? You don't smell like Esau. (laughs) It reminds me of the two men who were working on one of those volunteer Christian building projects. Have you ever been on one of those? And they were working real close and personal. They were hot and sweaty. And one says this, you know what? One of us has a deodorant that isn't working. And the other one says, well, it must be you because I didn't wear any. Right? I mean, Isaac... These guys had a smell. Esau didn't have any deodorant. If you didn't have any deodorant, guess what? You'd have a particular smell right now too. And some of us may not like it all that much. And the word that we would choose to define Esau, I would use this. He smelled gamey, right? And that's what he would have smelled like. You could smell Esau when he was coming. And Isaac smells him, right? He couldn't see well. He feels him. And that's old Harry Esau, all right. So Isaac does the only thing he knows to do. He pronounces the blessing. But who's the mastermind behind the whole thing? It's that mama who's pushing that boy into the room. Rebecca was a manipulator. Now let's move to the boys. Jacob. Jacob was a deceiving son. Now, we're going to talk a whole lot more about Jacob next week and see how God changes him. But today, we just see him as this deceiving son. And although it might not have been his idea, he's the one who was trying to buy something that was rightfully Esau's. What Jacob really tried to do was buy something that really wasn't for sale. And Jacob represents everybody in all time that tries to buy God or tries to buy blessings. It's so sad when Jesus comes to the door still today of somebody's heart. He knocks on that door and there are some people who just slide a $20 bill under the door and they say, there, Jesus, just just take that. But I need us all to hear today, you can't buy your salvation There are some religions that teach that, that you can earn it, you can buy it. You can't buy forgiveness. It's not for sale. 
You can't deceive your way into the family of God. Jacob is the one who follows his mama's leadership, but he's ever built as guilty as her. He's the one who speaks and enacts the lie. And then you have Esau. What's Esau in this story? He's a despising brother. But I want to be honest with you, and I want you to see this. Esau wasn't really all that great a guy either. If you were to look at Genesis 26, 34, and you can peek at it with me, it says, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and also Basemath, daughter of Elan the Hittite. Now, what do we know? If they were the daughters of Hittites, what are they? They are pagan women, right? Verse 35 says, they were a source of grief for Isaac and Rebekah. Have you ever had kids who married someone that became a source of grief to the whole family. Well, that's nothing new. It happens right here in Scripture. But but in today's story, Esau comes in to get his blessing. Now, we're not going to read all of this, but here's kind of how it goes. Isaac already gave it away. And then they both realize exactly what happened. And let me just put it mildly today. Esau burned with rage. Right? He realizes what his brother has done. And he holds a bitter grudge against his younger brother. And Esau represents everybody in this room who's ever been done dirty. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe in a business deal? Maybe in a family transaction, maybe when your parents' will was settled, maybe when you just got the short end of the stick somewhere in life, somebody was bitter to you, and you've been bitter back because of it, folks. Esau spent the next few years of his life getting more and more bitter and more and more angry. The text says he came out red, but I'm going to tell you, he got redder and redder and redder. Is that a word, redder? More red? Okay. So now we come to the part of the sermon that I've been wanting to get to. You see, there's not a single word written in Scripture, specifically these stories, that does not have life application. So I hope you've been thinking about this. What are the applications for us? What are the lessons that we can learn from Jacob? What are the applications for our lives? I've got three of these today, and I pray that they're impactful for all of us. So let's have ears to listen and hearts to hear. Life application one, you make a mess when you try to force God's plans. Somebody say amen. You see, if if we had asked Rebecca why she did what she did, I'm confident today she would have said, I did it because of what God told me. God said that the older would serve the younger, and I was just trying to make it happen, right? But but we need to hear this today. You don't have to make the will of God happen. When we try to force God's will and manipulate God's will, guess what? We make a mess of the whole thing. And, And I'm convinced that this deception had never played out. If it, this, this story that we read today would have never happened, guess what? God could have still made it happen. And it would have happened with a lot less division and without a lot of hatred and without, without a lot of bitterness. Now remember the verse that we quoted earlier. I said it was a proverb. It's a verse of scripture. 
It's Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. For a man reaps what he sows. So what was the reaping? Think about this. Rebecca reaped because of her deception. Her little boy Jacob, the one that she loved, remember? As far as we know, she never lays eyes on her son again. You talk about pain for a mom who loved a son so much. You better be careful because what you sow, you're also going to reap. Think about Jacob. He also reaped a harvest for his deception. Jacob went to live with his uncle Laban. You remember the story? And folks, uncle Laban, he was the chief of liars and deceivers and grabbers. Jacob goes into his house. He was the object of deception. He was taken for a ride, you might say. And then fast forward a few more years when Jacob has his own big family. One day, what do his sons do? They barge in and they lie to him. They say, oh, dad, your favorite son, Joseph, was working out in the field when wild animals came and killed him. And there's Jacob having done to him the very same thing that he did to his own dad years before before. Careful, folks, because whatever you sow, you're gone to reap. You see the life application? You make a mess of things when you try to force God's plan. Do you all hear me this morning? Say amen. Let's think about our life in the second thing. You make mistakes when you trust your senses. Now, I want you to think a little bit deeper here. You see, Isaac, I think, knew deep down that this wasn't Esau. I mean, that's his first reaction. This is not Esau. But he sniffed and he felt, he trusted his senses. And he said, well, you smell like Esau and you feel like Esau. Now let's go deeper. When are we going to learn that the kingdom of God, it's not physical it's not physical. No, it's, it's peace and it's love and it's joy of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing physical about it in that respect. It's not something you can figure out with your five senses. There are people all over the world that are trying to empirically, scientifically conclude and figure out who God is and what God wants to do in their lives, but it's beyond their senses and it's above their senses. If you're just trusting, if you're watching today on TV online and you're wondering what Christianity is all about, if you're just trusting your five senses to show you what's real, guess what? You're going to be deceived. You're going to get in trouble. Because your eyes and your ears and your touch and your smell are not necessarily going to be able to connect to the eternal God that's beyond anything physical. Do you understand that? Don't trust what you see and feel. Trust the Word of God. Does that make sense? Let's apply the third thing. And as always, this is the most important one. This is the message of this story, I think. Satan cannot steal your birthright, but oh my goodness, he will try to steal your blessing. Folks, everybody in this room who's in the family of God, you have a spiritual birthright. 
And Satan cannot steal that birthright from you. There's no way he can do it. You're a child of God. And once you're in the family of God, God is your father and you're his child. And nothing the devil or all the legions of hell could ever do can take you out of the family of God. He cannot steal your birthright, but he can steal your blessing. Now, what do I mean by that? Listen in Psalm 51 to what King David had to say after Satan had stolen his blessing. He said, restore to me, what? The joy of my salvation. He didn't say, restore to me my salvation. He said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And the sad truth is many Christians sit in his seat today. Many Christians are miserable, not experiencing the joy of Jesus. And that's a part of your spiritual heritage. And Satan has robbed your inner peace. He's robbed the fruit of the Spirit. He's robbed the blessing that's yours. He can't steal your birthright. But my goodness, he is trying to steal every one of our blessings. This morning, I praise God, and I think you join me in this, that greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. And if you're missing out on what's rightfully yours as a child of God, that is the joy of the Lord, the peace of God that passes all understanding, a sense of purpose, a sense of, of fulfillment in life. If you're missing out on that right now today, you ought to say, Satan, you've tried to steal it from me, but I'm not going to let you have it. I'm not going to let you do it. God, restore to me the joy and the blessings that are mine as your child. Jacob the Grabber. His life is important still. And that's what I love about Scripture. That's what I love about the Old Testament. Jacob's life is still valuable. Because he's a part of this unbelievable Christian heritage that's ours. And he teaches us today powerfully. That we can't be deceived. 